kind of just having a good idea of what that number is, where and when is always uh, an advantageous thing in my opinion. The ways that I kind of measure it, um, a couple different ways. I mean, you could easily just hop on the treadmill and put it at the typical running speed that you may uh, have just based on your uh, pace. And you can just uh, set a timer for, you know, 30 seconds and just measure how many times your feet hit the treadmill mm-hmm. in that amount of time and then double it. Um, the app that I suggest, however, and what I actually use um, when I am uh, doing any type of running analysis is run cadence. Welcome to the Movement Code Podcast, where we help you decode movement, health, and lifestyle so that you can expand and grow. Hey guys, my name is Antonio Gurley, your host for the Movement Code Podcast. I am a father, husband, business owner, rehab practitioner, and coach. Information overload has paralyzed many of us, and we are overwhelmed with good intentions and don't know what or who to trust. We aim to provide you clarity and confidence by bringing you expert advice for the everyday person. Thanks for spending some time with me today and enjoy the episode. What's happening, guys? This is Antonio, your host of the Movement Code Podcast. Uh, I'm super excited about today's episode. Uh, My good buddy, Dr. Jesse Riley, is on today sharing his wisdom of biomechanics um, and gait and running and, um, you know, a lot of different just topics on that. So I love this this episode because this is definitely um, information and just an area that I do not have a lot of knowledge and expertise in, and and I got to learn a lot for myself, which has been great. Um, I'm not a big runner, um, but there are obviously times when I do run, so I, I like to take, uh, especially in these episodes where it's a little bit foreign and apply some of this stuff, obviously, to my own life. As I had indicated in previous episodes, selfishly, a lot of these um uh, guests and topics are because I have specific questions and specific questions that I have either developed myself because you guys have asked them or I've heard specific questions from you that I wanted to bring on or just just my general knowledge and inquiry about certain things. So running is just foreign to me, um, foreign in the sense of the knowledge and the biomechanics and injury recovery, et cetera. So we get into a lot of that great information. I'm super stoked uh, about this conversation and we had a blast. It's always fun catching up with Jesse. Um, but before that, Quick ask, uh, we just want you to go to YouTube and subscribe to our YouTube page. Um, Takes two seconds. Google Enhanced Movements YouTube or go to YouTube and type in Enhanced Movements um, and you will find our page, subscribe. Um, That's where we put a lot of our movement exercises and content and we have movement Mondays on there. We replay these podcasts on there where you can actually see the video of us having a conversation as well too. So uh, please do that. And of course, um, at Doc Just Riley, Jesse Riley uh, is Jesse's Instagram handle. Um, make sure to um, follow him on Instagram and you'll get that. Uh, you'll get all of his contact info in the episode as well to make sure that I said those correctly. So uh, let's get on with it. Enjoy the episode, guys. And as always, please share. Uh, if you if you if you liked it and you think someone else will benefit of it, it it's no skin off your back for just just hit that share button, send it to someone. It's like, hey, thought of you. Think you'll enjoy this. Uh, enjoy. So uh, much love. Thanks for listening and chat soon. Bye. All right, guys. Welcome back. Movement Code Podcast. Uh, Today on the episode, we have Dr. Jesse with us. uh, And I'm going to let Dr. Jesse introduce himself and a little bit about what he does, which will clearly indicate what our conversation is going to be around today. So thanks for coming on, man. 
Not a problem, Antonio. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's good to catch up again with you. Yeah, it's basically, I would say that uh, kind of how I introduce myself, uh, Dr. Jesse Riley, Jesse, whatever you want to call me. Um, some call me coach. Some call me their therapist. Some call me the rehab specialist. Uh, and I'm sure you can attest that too, t uh, Tony. It's kind of just uh, whatever walks in the door is what hat you wear that day. But I would say the biggest demographics I work with are going to be uh, endurance athletes and then chronic persistent pain individuals. Awesome, man. Uh, yeah, so the the reason why I had uh, I reached out to Dr. Jesse is we wanted to have some conversations about running. Uh, I am not a runner. Um, I ran maybe for the first time in about a year, a couple, maybe a month ago. And I did like a mile around the block, which wasn't bad. And I did some sprints. It felt okay. Um, but, you know, we're obviously in at least the area we are. I'm looking at the flat irons of Boulder. Well, what's left of them with the smoke right now. But there's a lot of people that run. And people love running. And runners are, like, I always joke, like, runners are runners. And when you tell runners you can't run because of something or, you know, they have an injury or whatever that is, that's like, that's like you're taking my soul and my life away. And so I wanted to give you guys some information around running, running injuries, running training, et cetera, or just endurance kind of athletes in general uh, that I think can be um, super beneficial. So with that, now I'm just going off of kind of top of mind and cuff of most common injury running or sorry, most common running injuries that I see and I should rephrase this of things that are aggravated when running, maybe it's not something that is obviously related to like, I got this injury when running, but when I run, I feel these things anterior knee pain or pain at the yep. front of the knee. Um, and, uh, so three top three, at least we can kind of like tackle these hip pain and more so just kind of like outside hip. And for those of you, again, for listening, the hip is your ball and socket joint. It's not your pelvis. So when you point to your back, that's not your hip. There's a portion of that that's, you know, in relation to the hip structure. We're talking about like ball and socket, glute pain. And then number three is toe pain, more specifically big toe. So let's let's start in that order, knee pain. What are the, some of the main things? And I know this is kind of like a loaded question. It's like, a, you know, who's the demographic? How much are you doing? But what are some of the things, like if someone comes into your office, hey, doc, I got knee pain when I'm running. What are some of the things you're looking at? What are the, some of the things you're asking as far as evaluating them to give them the best plan moving forward? Yeah, fabulous question. I wouldn't uh, really disagree with the three areas you talked about either. It's definitely a lower extremity for sure. Um, I would say if starting from maybe just the history in general um, for the knee pain uh, region, it's going to revolve around, hey, what is your step rate? in terms of cadence. So that's just how many uh, times your feet are hitting the ground in like a minute's time, okay? Um, next question might be like, hey, what kind of train have you been running on here recently? Has it been a lot of trail? Is it a lot of incline, decline? Um, what we kind of notice is a lot of times with a decline uh, type slope, you're gonna get a little bit more provocation in that knee area for sure. That's usually where a lot of the loading tends to happen because we're leaning forward a little bit more. Um, trying to think of some other um, things in terms of like the history and stuff like that. Typically um, what I see with knee pain from like the running aspect of stuff is kind of what I was saying back with the, the slope thing. Maybe they're pitched a little bit more forward. Maybe they're a little squatty 
like a little bit more bend at the knee. Um, so some common cues that I tend to use with that is maybe run just a little bit taller. In terms of the cadence aspect, um, what we usually find is everybody says like, oh, 180 is the magic number. Uh, what we've kind of figured out through research is that's not entirely true. It's kind of just dependent upon the person. And what you'll kind of notice is people with uh, shorter leg length are going to inherently have a higher cadence because their feet exactly. have to run faster. Yeah. And so obviously a lower cadence for someone who uh, is, you know, got a longer leg length. Um, the big thing with that though, is we're making sure that they're kind of staying in what's called the sagittal plane too. And so this is where not just anterior knee pain, but if you're having knee pain on either side of the knee too, if that knee's kind of moving in what we call the frontal plane. And so guys, I know it's kind of hard to see because it's a podcast, but if you just uh, take your hands out to your sides and just uh, go to your left and your right side, that is your frontal plane. And so you'll notice if you may watch somebody, they may kind of teeter from left to right kind of heavily. Mm-hmm. That's someone who may be inherently more uh, prone to that sort of thing too. Now, just out of curiosity, because you're obviously working with endurance athletes, mm-hmm. for those of us who don't measure cadence, like what would be a suggestion for someone who's like, I have literally no idea what cadence I run. I'm like, I just run. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so what are there? Cause I know there's some apps and some different, uh, obviously tools out there. Do you encourage people to try to start counting their cadence or do you simply just instruct them like, Hey, why don't you just try to pick up your cadence in a little bit, try to take a few more steps. Yeah. That's another brilliant question. Um, I would say two points of where I'm kind of stressing that the most one would be injured runner. Okay. Someone who comes in and they have pain during their run. Or uh, maybe like, you know, a mile in or five minutes in, whatever it may be, pain starts to become the issue. I'm going to have them start to monitor their cadence a little bit more. And I'll get into how I typically suggest for them to do it after uh, I kind of explain the second group here. The second group would be someone who I feel wants to take it to that next level with running. Reason I say that is if you think about just an athlete in general like you know there's lebron james and then there's the guy who's on the bench kind of thing and i'm not trying to discredit the guy that's on the bench i'm sure he's a really good player he's obviously in the nba for a reason but <laughs> lebron james is lebron james right yeah. and so he he has this natural ability to be able to tap into the unmeasurable things right and so one of those is just being naturally able especially from the running side of things naturally able to kind of check in to hey how how's my foot speed right now how does that measure up with uh the speed that i'm actually running versus how fast are my feet kind of turning over and so it's just another element that we can kind of uh measure and control and kind of manipulate to just make that that uh that runner what i like to call robust Mm -hmm. um so there's going to be situations where obviously if you're running uphill you're probably going to adopt a little bit of a shorter stride some uh and then if you're going downhill you may uh, maybe not so much with trail but like uh just like a pavement you're going to drop a longer stride length so your cadence is going to shorten but kind of just having a good idea of what that number is where and when is always uh an advantageous thing in my opinion the ways that i kind of measure it um a couple different ways i mean you could 
easily just hop on the treadmill and put it at the typical running speed that you may uh, have just based on your uh, pace. And you can just uh, set a timer for, you know, 30 seconds and just measure how many times your feet hit the treadmill mm -hmm. in that amount of time and then double it. Um, the app that I suggest, however, and what I actually use um, when I am uh, doing any type of running analysis is Run Cadence. It's kind of a um, unsolicited marketing here, I guess you'd say. Run Cadence is an app um, that uh, I know it at least works for Apple. I'm uh, questionable if it works with Android or not, but um, it's it measures it yourself uh, itself just based on arm swing. So I'll give that to someone when I'm measuring them for their baseline uh, run on the treadmill. And then from there, that's when I can kind of manipulate their cadence accordingly using a metronome. Yeah, nice. Um, so how, so this is an app on the phone? Do you hold the phone? Mm -hmm. that, yep, so I just good. give them my phone and then um, it usually I think it takes like a minute to measure. And so while that's going on, I'm, I've got my iPad from uh, the back view. So I'm kind of getting my baseline views from the backside. And then I'll also go over to the side um, with what we call like a lateral view mm -hmm. and kind of get their view from there too. And in that span of time, I usually, that you can usually collect that number. And then so that next round of kind of when we're running, now we can start to play around with either cadence or incline or those sorts of things to see, hey, does this feel any different to you at all? Um, you know, I, and you have to realize like pain is not going to just disappear uh, completely, but there's often times where, uh, if we manipulate their cadence to some degree that can change the mechanics of what's happening that could be leading to the provocation of, uh, the pain that they're experiencing. Yeah. So what's, what's really, um, so, uh, sorry, you can hear the airplane buzzing in the back. That's okay. Um, I'm in the bunker, AKA our bedroom. So it's all good. <laughs> um, so I am curious because it sounds like most of your analysis is done on the treadmill, correct? Yeah, for the most part. It's just uh, the way, the reason why that is, is um, the way that I explain it to people is it, every element of that is typically under our control. Mm -hmm. Whereas if, and I've had people, you know, send me a recording on their phone, like running towards uh, the camera or running away from the camera out in the street or something like that. But it's just one of those things like we can get a constant uh, long exposure versus mm -hmm. like, oh, five seconds. Oh, well, let me rewind and rewatch that like 17 million times. And yeah, so no, I, it's just a nice uh, baseline. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes I think it makes sense. Now, I am curious, though, because this is a question that I commonly get, especially when we're talking about like footwear and things like that. Oh, I went to this store and they did a running analysis on me. And because mm -hmm. of what they saw, I am now wearing X, Y, and Z. And not that we're throwing anybody under the bus here, but I feel from time to time, you you tend to get the same Maybe maybe patterns just repeat themselves as far as like human nature and things like that, but it's a lot of the same things. You are an overpronator. You need this, or you are this and this. And they're trying to, which I think is okay to some capacity, deal with something that they see with a product that they're obviously trying to sell, right? But what are some of the limitations that people are most likely missing by just doing the more quote unquote generalist type of running analysis at like a shoe store? 
Yeah, great uh, question there too. I think, you know, answer that question, uh, and I think you would agree with me here, Antonio, that, you know, people have their biases in terms of what they feel uh, may work for a specific person. And so oh, sure. kind of like what you're saying, you don't want to throw, you don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but um, there you're going to walk into one running store and they may have this heavy opinion on this shoe for you. And then you may drive right down the street to this other running store and they may have a completely different opinion on it. Kind of my perspective is I obviously am looking at it from the lens of uh, this person has pain. What is the load strategy that is happening to their body to create that? And then taking all that into consideration, as far as shoes go, um, there's a few principles that I kind of follow. I mean, numero uno is like, hey, what has worked well in the past and what feels good on your foot? Um, because I, yeah, we could go down the rabbit hole of, uh, over pronating, uh, correcting shoes and minimalist shoes and maximalist shoes. And like all these shoes where, when at the end of the day, like most of the uh, research says that no specific shoe is going to reduce your injury. Um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was like a, yeah, basically they found that there was no correlation that any shoe has a propensity to create injury for a runner. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Like you'd have the best equipment ever, but you can still mess yourself up. Exactly. So with that being said, so I think there's I think there's a couple parts to that. You're seeing people in pain, but you also see people from like a performance standpoint. So it's people that want to go to the next level that maybe are not in pain. Mm-hmm. But and and it's and I haven't, I actually did this with a, with a local physical therapist who just moved into town. This was like a couple of years ago. Um, but I was like, oh, what do you guys do? Oh, we do a lot of gait analysis. I was like, cool. Never had my gait done before. I'm like, I don't have any pain, but I'd love to get it checked out. Right. So we did it. And there, there's, they had like, man, this, they had like the high, high tech stuff. Like it was like 18 different cameras, LED markers and stuff, which was like another whole like level in game, which pros and cons to each one of those. Right. But it was interesting how I thought my natural gate was. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a horrible runner. I can, you know, if I wanted to, I could bust out whatever. It's not like really great either. Yeah. But like seeing all this stuff, I was like, Oh damn, I run really weird <laughs> from even from like what I've seen because I've never filmed it before. Right. And um, so, so just kind of curious is, you know, if you don't have pain and you are someone who runs and you've never had an analysis, just like, you know, and I kind of think of it as humans too, like it's kind of nice to do a blood work every now and then. Would it, is it beneficial like for someone to get in and start looking at their technique, even though they don't have an issue? I mean, we don't want to create like any sort of fear mongering. It's like, oh, but you could catch something before it catches something. Or do we kind of just say like, hey, if you're running well and you feel like you're good, you know, hit me up if you need me. Yeah. You and I are both cut from the same cloth. And uh, that's why I like you in the first place. You're not a, you're not the fear mongering, like pushy salesman guy. And I have never, ever been that way myself. But to answer your question, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely see people, obviously, you know, I would say the overwhelming majority of the people that I work with, yeah, have pain to some capacity, but that other group, and this is a fun group to work with because it's almost like uh, we're not only problem solving, but we're kind of enhancing in a way too. Like, mm-hmm. 
oh, we could make you go from here to here kind of situation. And so to answer your question, yeah, I absolutely work with the, that group too. Um, I presented a little bit differently, however, um, obviously with pain, like you're trying to figure out what is the, uh, mechanism that is creating that. Whereas the performance side for me is more of like, Hey, I feel like if we worked on X, Y, and Z, um, this would improve maybe this thing that you keep talking about with your runs or, uh, this certain measure that you keep speaking on so you always try to tie it back to whatever their goal is obviously right and that's that's no matter if they're in pain or not in pain yeah so i mean just kind of going back to that i I i would say for the listener if you're if you're questioning running or you're questioning maybe some of the aches and pains that you have when running Mm -hmm. It would be good to get a maybe a more in-depth assessment rather than assuming a shoe is going to fix it. Oh, one million percent, <laughs> one million percent, absolutely. I yeah, you're not going like, to be able to go out and get your four percents and be able to run a, a sub-three marathon like, with no training whatsoever. Not going to happen. <laughs> so, when you're looking at things too, what would Let's say, for, let's use the example because I, I kind of use the same thought process of um, when someone's maybe doing like a workout or something. It, it can be it can be the endurance aspect too, right? But like, oh, I don't get pain until a certain point. So it, it's not when they start, mm-hmm. but it grows or it builds up. So is that a technique flaw that's leading to some 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 signaling, or is it more of a capacity issue in which they're just running themselves and? And is there, obviously there's a way to differentiate that you do the technique analysis, right? But how do you kind of balance and juggle what that is? Yeah, that's a, uh, you're, you're throwing me some brilliant questions here. I would say you're right in the aspect of the capacity thing. And I'm sure you've probably explained this to a lot of your clients too. Like, you know, there's two kind of factors that weigh on the body in terms of pain. And this goes just with life in general too. Um, on one side of the, what I call proverbial teeter-totter, we have what's called load. And that's just how much stress or strain or volume or whatever is being applied to a specific area. And on the other side of that teeter-totter, we have what's called capacity. And so in essence, that is how much load can that specific area tolerate in that same amount of time. And so when load is like supremely over exceeding capacity, that's when we typically have pain. Um, Same argument could be made though, if load is just slightly above capacity, now we're training, right? Like to some degree when we're working out and stuff, we're adding stress to our body, but it's in a manageable portion. Um, The problem is with pain is when we overdo it, right? Or do, do it so consistently often that it, uh, overloads the system. So getting back to your question, um, definitely the capacity is an issue. Uh, fatigue to a certain degree can be a huge issue, but usually it's one of those things where I would say it tends to go back to that load and capacity thing. So that's where we can see some of the functional movement screens too, that you and I do where we can kind of, Oh, well, that definitely is going to load, uh, this portion that you're speaking on. How do you think that might feel? You may not have pain now while you're doing it, but but when you're 10, 15 miles in, how do you think that that might feel after a given period of time? 
Yeah, that's, 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 that's a good point. I mean, it really just comes down to a lot of just, it's not as black and white as people want to always think it is, right? It's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, you know, you, it, it depends on a number of things. You throw recovery in there and all that as, mm-hmm. as well, which is, which is important and just a, a rabbit hole in and of itself. Um, so I wanted to uh, shift in. I know we kind of, we talked about the knee. The knee was good. I, I'm actually thinking maybe, I, th- I think these will two will probably be connected to some capacity because they're so tightly correlated, but the knee mm-hmm. is obviously involved as well. Feet, right? I know you know feet well, and I know you talk about feet a lot. What are we, what are most of us missing as far as like what we need to know about our feet? Where do we go wrong with feet? Um, and this is something I'm thinking even like from earlier stage, obviously I have kids that are running around and I'm like, well, shit, am I messing up their feet down the road? Cause they're wearing these shitty shoes <laughs> and all this other stuff. And, you know, again, feeling all guilty for, for, for that stuff. But, um, you know, we talked about big toe pain or foot pain being one of the other things. And obviously the tight correlation between how the hip functions based on when the foot strike and all these different elements, but let's dive into feet a little bit more. What are some of the main things that you that you try to come across that, or you try to, I guess, lay across for, for any runner as regards to feet uh, and for the more dysfunctional, what are some of the the remedies and things that you're doing? Yeah, I would say uh, there's definitely two, and I'll probably tell you a few more too, but the top two, bar none, is um, basically great toe uh, extension. So being able to lift that big toe or being able to load that big toe um, and then the second thing, hands down, probably Nuberalino, in my opinion, is ankle dorsiflexion. And so uh, just to think about what that looks like, guys, it's kind of like when you take your knee over your foot, like when you're doing a squat, what's happening is your ankle is going into what's called dorsiflexion. And so if we have a limitation mobility-wise in either of those two, that usually sets the stage for other things up the chain. So when I say up the chain, up the leg. Um, there's a few other things, but I typically like to see, can they, uh, disassociate their toes from one another? I'm not looking for them to, you know, tickle the ivories with their feet or anything, but can they lift, uh, just their big toes off the ground? And then, uh, after that, I tend to say, Hey, okay, that was good. Now, can you lift your other four toes and keep your big toe on the ground? And then the last thing for me is I like to see, can they splay their toes out really wide? Those are like three kind of rudimentary things that I wish every runner would be able to do. But in reality, like not a whole lot of people can necessarily do that. But the reason I do like that is it just allows that person to have way more control over how they're landing. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you and I both know running is essentially a plyometric sport. You're basically jumping and landing on one foot uh, and switching to the next foot. Yeah, man, those those uh, those are those are good. It's funny you mentioned that because I'm literally trying to do it in my feet right now, and it's <laughs> weird the um, the ankle that I've had or the foot or ankle that I've had more issues with, meaning like more sprains and different things like that. Not the most recurrent sprains though. Mm-hmm. my more recurrent sprains have been on the left side but my right side toes are just like they're just like dumb i can't get them to do anything even working with correct toes and different things like that it's just so interesting to see how just disassociated they are from from everything else which is just crazy so um now with that i'm, I'm just curious because this is one of the probably 
it's got to be up there with the top one to two questions that we get is strike. Where should you strike? Heel mm-hmm. strike, midfoot, forefoot. Does it matter? Does it obviously it probably depends, but what are some of the criteria, the factors that would indicate someone should be hitting in different places or, or you're just your, just your opinion in general? Yeah. I mean, to me, like it's kind of to answer your question directly. I think it's completely dependent upon the person. Um, and sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to interject and have you, what are some of the things that it would depend on? Are you, is it, is it strictly anatomical variations? Is it maybe obviously if you have a decrease in dorsiflexion or your ankle range of motion, that's going to change it. Is it okay for you to land in a certain way because of this functional pattern you're in currently, but as you move out of that, you want to transition into a different strike position? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. I would say in terms of like, if we're going to manipulate uh, a foot strike in any way, it's usually because that person comes in with an injury. So let's say example might be someone comes in with calf Achilles issue. And we notice that they are a forefoot striker. So when we talk about forefoot guys, we're just talking about like the ball of your feet up to your toes. And naturally, when we do that, you're, you are going to load that area a little bit more in your body already. And so that might be something to where I'm like, okay, hey, like, I know you've been doing this for X number of years. What if we tried to work on uh, landing on midfoot or rear foot um, for the time being until uh, the pain comes down just a little bit? Because at the end of the day, like, if they're naturally a four foot striker, there's no or or even rear foot striker for example because the majority of humans are actually rear foot strikers in terms of jogging um i'm not going to try to change that sort of thing with them mainly for the reason is like there's a whole lot of research out there that says in terms of energy efficiency and stuff like that that actually changing your foot strike pattern costs more energy than what it's worth um and so that's why i tend to say like if they're in pain i may manipulate it but for the most part i'm just letting them be that um because like i said the majority of people are rear foot strikers um and you can kind of tell like at the end of the day like especially when you and i may see someone who has more of uh like again that calf or achilles complex or maybe uh metatarsalgia that they're probably more of a four-foot striker in the first place. So we usually kind of put two and two together when we're going through the history. But again, I'm not really changing it unless we need to. Now, so reverting back though, do you find that things naturally change based on changing cadence? Ooh, yeah. Um, So yes and no. Um, I would say yes in the sense of we know Um, that's going to be a little bit slow pace, but as soon as I tell that person to sprint or sprint, um, basically sprint, but run at a higher intensity, that they're going to naturally adopt more of a forfeit strike. Sorry, um, I'm going to interrupt. In I'm going to interrupt of, you real. Can I sure. interrupt you real quick? You you cut you cut out. So we were, you were going you were talking about pace right before you got into pace. It cut out and it kind of like lagged. Can you just say that part over again? Oh man, lag. We're taking me back to my Xbox days, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
what I was saying is that if we are changing that person's pace, meaning uh, we'll just say in the sense of going from a jog to a sprint, that they're going to naturally adopt more of a four-fifth strike mm -hmm. uh, because of that. And something else we've kind of noticed too is actually when we take shoes off someone, mm -hmm. that they typically adopt more of a four-fifth strike as well. Um, but in terms of how much we're manipulating cadence, either in office or what I'm having them do outside, it's usually not enough to necessarily change their foot strike pattern. Um, it's more about just, in essence, shortening their stride to some degree. So that's that's a good that's a good point though. So for those of you who have switched to a more minimalist type of shoe, that's why you might be experiencing plantar fascia pain and or bingo. Achilles pain because you're on your toes. <laughs> And you bango, bango. <laughs> so it's built, it's building into, it's building into that. Um, yeah, man, those are, those are, those are good points. So I would literally, that, that just jumped into my mind because I had a conversation with someone yesterday or last week and she was just like, every time she, she's a CrossFitter, she's like, I don't run because every time I run, it just hurts or I pay for it days afterwards. And, you know, they're like trying to give me running drills and different things like that. And they're trying to change me from a heel foot striker to more of a midfoot strike and a bunch of different stuff. And I'm just like, well, like, let's just try these couple of things. Increasing cadence definitely helps. So she wasn't like thudding. She was like, a, she's like, I run. I'm like a dong, 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 like just smacking the floor <laughs> like another. Um, but oddly enough, correct toes helped her a ton. It just, just ah, op opening nice. her up. And she's just like, I feel like connected to the ground. Whereas before, which we got to still work on dexterity before she just was, you know, a lot of, it was a lot of anterior, not shin splints. But that's where it was. And she was just, she's like, I always feel like I'm just like pulling my toes up. And this allowed her to feel like she was actually like grounded and she could like grip. But I was like, don't worry about the heel strike. Let it roll. Just speed it up your cadence a little bit and see how that works. And so we're, we're working, we're working and see what happens with that. So, yeah, that's um, awesome. so talk, talk to us a little bit for those of you who aren't familiar, talk to us a little about correctos. What do correctos do? How do you use them? Do you use them? Uh, yeah. And uh, where do they kind of fall in? And, and realistically, like, should most of us be using them to, to some capacity? Yeah, I would say, um, I, yes, I do use them. Um, do I suggest them often? Uh, I would say maybe like in terms of like running population where it's centered at the foot kind of situation, maybe 50% of the time. So it's not like every single person's getting correct. That's so good thing. though. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I like it is it's a basis of getting them more aware of why, one, why we're giving it to them, um, but two, uh, kind of allowing the foot to kind of feel uh, a different environment with them. And so if we're not, again, I could give them correct toes, but if they're not doing drills like the toe splay and stuff like that, it's really not going to stick and your body's not going to really uh, come away making much progress with it. And kind of the same thing could be said with like, you know, the foam rolling, the lacrosse balls, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like there, there is a, there is a purpose for it. And I, I think that, you know, people can and should do that to some degree if they feel like that's good, but there has to be some type of coupling with an exercise or a drill or something to kind of let the brain know like, oh, okay, this is what we're trying to go for. And also kind of the realization, like, 
you know, no matter how much you're wearing those correct toes, like it's going to take a while too. like your body had a natural adaptation because you were likely having a, uh, a specific shoe that wasn't necessarily agreeing with the foot uh, for a long period of time, or maybe that your gait was altered in some way from either an injury or some other capacity that happened um, that led to that too. Uh, same thing, actually, what you were talking about with your foot, my foot, um, this is what I deal with too. I broke my ankle. Actually, I joke, Logan Ring broke my ankle back in eighth grade. Um, and uh, so my left, uh, my left foot basically has a little bit less uh, ankle range in motion or dorsiflexion. But at the same time, my pinky toe looks a little gnarly. And so my lateral four toes have a hard time gripping the ground or feeling the ground. And so, yeah, I do some of these drills to kind of help with that, along with, you know, cap raises and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, it definitely throws off my balance and most of my problems are on my left side. So, I mean, there has to be some correlation with that too, just like you said. So when would someone be able to, uh, so uh, to back up, for those of you that are unfamiliar, correct toes are basically these spacers that go in between your toes to help splay your forefoot and open them up. Now, there are a ton of variation versions out there, and I will tell you right now that correct toes are worth the more money that you will be spending. I've tried the cheaper options thinking it would be just the same and it helps save some money. It's bar none. They all suck and they all hurt your foot. The correct toes are actually very, very comfortable. So just take that uh, into consideration. Now, uh, again, what Dr. Jesse was stating is if you look at like your shoe shape right now, so if you're wearing shoes right now, or if you're not, even more importantly, if you're not wearing shoes, if your feet look like the shape of a shitty shoe without a shoe even on, you know you've been wearing those for too long, right? So Absolutely. essentially, a, a tapered kind of toe box. If you're looking at your shoe and the in the front of the shoe tapers in or is more narrow than like where your toe box would be, or sorry, like the ball of your foot would be, your toes are just getting super scrunched together, and that alters how they're how they're used and how they're how they function, etc. Which is actually really interesting. How many running shoes I feel are quite tapered? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely quite a few out there. Um, but the unfortunate thing too, and I don't want to throw Ultra under the bus because I feel like they do a great job with their shoes and I own a couple pairs myself. They have a wider toe box that does fit more of a natural uh, splay of your toes. Mm -hmm. um, but same kind of thing here is like most of their shoes are what we call zero drop, meaning there's from heel to toe, it's basically uh, no decline. It's just a straight level uh, thing. The problem, however, with that is that going back to that ankle dorsiflexion thing that we were talking about, if you have more of a limited ankle range of motion, I'm probably not going to have you run in that shoe right away because you're probably going to experience, you know, more, uh, again, calf, Achilles, or foot pain as a result. And so I'm kind of just crossing my fingers waiting for there's uh, topos actually have a little bit of a drop to them, but they're about in the three to four range. I would love for a shoe company to have more of a wider toe box that's getting up into like the five to eight, maybe 10 millimeter drop range. That would be perfect. But I haven't seen that out yet. There's a wedge. So if you got a million dollars. Yeah. Could, uh, could a wedge? We, we could definitely put a wedge in it. 
We could definitely do a wedge in terms of like a um, like a middle ground stepping stone. You talking like maybe kind of like a heel lift almost? Yeah, almost like a heel lift because I know there's one. Um, so there's obviously it wouldn't be specifically for this and it it doesn't like anchor in so there might be some pros and cons to that but there's a there's a i think it's called a squat wedge so for mm-hmm. those people that didn't want to switch into lifters it was 100 direct towards a crossfit community you have limited ankle range of motion you don't want to switch into your lifters or you're in a wad where you still want to be able to use your regular shoes you just slide this little thing in and it's a wedge that creates a, not like a substantial heel lift, but a little bit of a heel lift just inside the shoe. So it gives you that little bit of anterior weight displacement to help with that squatting pattern. And I don't know if that would be something you've ever tried or considered, or if that would be even a relative option so that like, Hey, the ultra is great, but I just want you to have a little bit of that. that yeah, uh, absolutely. It's definitely a, a thing that you can use for sure. What, what is that product called again? I think it was like called, I don't even know. It's like a shoe insert squat red, squat um, wedge, shoe insert. Squat. Maybe we can get a sponsor here, buddy. Come on. Yeah, dude. Who's... <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to early. Uh, I don't know. It's Now I just got a whole bunch of like orthopedic wedges. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, yes, you could actually throw in, yeah, like a some type of uh, cork lift or something. Yeah, I was something that came to mind that might have been uh, might have been interesting. Um, when when would someone? I mean, if someone benefits from correct toes, is this something that they would always wear? When would they graduate from wearing correct toes based on certain criteria? What would some of those things be? Yeah, we I typically suggest people have like a um, warming up period to it in a sense of you know, hey, wear this for a couple hours while you guys are, you know, hanging out of an evening at home uh, or doing stuff around the house. Um, If the shoe is wide enough to accommodate the spacers in there, um, again, like an ultra, you could probably wear them in like an ultra or uh, there's a million other different uh, shoes out there now that kind of make it more functional with the toe box. I'm okay with you wearing it out and about. That's perfectly fine if you're going to try to put those in and then wear, you know, like a dress shoe, however, you're really not kind of helping yourself out there. In fact, it's you're probably, hurt. yeah, you're probably just going to make matters worse. Um, <laughs> if it's something like a neuroma per se or something like that, because now you're just like compressing the, the tissue even more. Yeah. So you definitely want to, if you're going to wear a shoe, make sure it has a pretty wide toe box naturally, if you're going to wear the uh, toe spacers. Um, so I'm going to shift slightly similar similar kind of uh topic or question but what are some of the are there baseline strength criterias that you want most people to have and i don't necessarily have any of these for the populations that i work with because most people are lifting weights but you know i could argue like you should be able to do oh here's an example you should be able to do three, in my opinion, three strict pull-ups before you really start exploring kipping pull-ups. You have the necessary baseline strength to control your shoulders through uh, so full flexion and uh, relative extension and whatever. We can get back into the range of motions. But are there things that you are looking for people to be able to do performance-wise, pain-wise, or anything like that? Yeah, dude. That's a really good question. Um, I would say that there is definitely uh checklists that i kind of have in my mind based on 
their performance level or kind of where they feel like they are as a runner. Um, and so they range from, you know, single leg balance test. Um, I don't necessarily need time per se with that. I mean, obviously you and I both know that when we have someone do a single leg balance, kind of being able to separate the uh, unbalanced from the balance because you see it like right away. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, kind of what I do with that is I actually like them and the, the testing is a little bit different. Some people just have them bend their knee. So kind of like they're uh, kind of kicking back some grass behind them or something like that. I actually like them to raise the knee up to 90. Mm-hmm. Main reason being is a couple of reasons. Uh, first one being like, as a runner, you're going to have that knee drive. Are you going to get to 90 degrees? No, you're not. But um, for the most part, the second reason why is why I do that to kind of fortify it is I'm seeing especially is hip flexion an issue for this person. And uh, you kind of notice that as they start to raise that knee up, kind of where that path of their travel is. So I tend to kind of compare right and left there. Let's take someone who maybe has uh They've been told that they need to stretch out their hip flexors because their hip flexors are tight. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be able to tell right away if that is fact or bullshit. Main reason being is oftentimes when they're told to stretch out their hip flexors, stretch them out, stretch them out, stretch them out, they don't see any results. Typically, it's because they actually need to load those hip flexors instead. And so when I watch them do a single leg stance, as they're raising that uh, affected area up so that let's say it's their left hip, front of the hip, and they're raising that knee up. I typically see a pattern to where maybe they kind of take it out to the side and then bring it back in line compared to the right side or whatever the non-infected side is. Or they tend to avoid anything that's like internal rotation of that hip too. Those are usually the two big ones where I'm like, you know, this is where you got to sit down with them too because if they've been told by, so many damn providers that they've got to stretch their hip flexors and you come in here and you say, actually quit stretching your hip flexors. You need to make, uh, add more load to these and make them a little bit more robust. Sometimes you get a little flack for that or a little resistance. So it kind of, you're softling it to them. Um, so another way that I kind of do that too is I'll have them uh, do that seated too. They can always raise their knee up there, just check uh, seated hip flexion. And then I kind of just confirm it with uh, what's called supine uh, hip flexion. So I'm passively moving their knee up towards them. And that's usually where they might feel like a pinch or something like that again. So you're going to get diagnoses that are going to be like hip impingement syndrome or uh, I think, what is it? Uh femoral acetabular impingement so i was just going to ask you do you do you ever do you have some people that present with that pinchy fai well it's gonna uh, a couple ways that it kind of depends is yes but typically if it's uh, actually something that is more accurately portrayed to that it's usually because their hip uh their hip alignment is going to be a little bit different than what we consider textbook so they may be, they may be having like uh, a little bit of antiversion, so hip antiversion. Basically, that person may feel like they toe in a little bit, or maybe the opposite end of the spectrum where that person has retroversion of their hips. So that's where you're going to kind of toe out a little bit. Um, 
if it's someone that I kind of see like has a pretty natural hip alignment and we're kind of feeling that and we're not even to the point of where it's like full hip flexion, mm-hmm. that's where I'm going to be like, eh, like I think this yeah. is more hip flexor saying I need help. Like I can't hold this leg here. So I'm going to go into spasm and it feels like a pinch. Yeah, no, I, it's just interesting. Cause that's like, that's so top of mind, at least for the demographic I work with, just because mm-hmm. so many oh, people lifters, are for sure. just, well, just people are just doing squats in general is just too narrow of a stance. Toes are locked in straight and they're just banging those, just banging those bones together in the front and you get really pissed off stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That, I mean, I see it time and time again too. Yeah. With the squat stuff and it's, that is, you know, a multifactorial thing where, you know, I know that you do a great job of this in terms of educating that person like, hey, what if we adopted this pattern instead with your feet? And it just makes all the difference in the world for them because you, know, you don't know what you don't know. And that's sure. kind of our job is to let them know. Well, and or they've been told something, right? Like, exactly. Because like, most people are like, well, how, why do you squat that way? Oh, I was told to do that. Or why do you do that? Oh, I was told to do that back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So we got hip, hip, uh, single leg stance, balance, hip flexor, endurance. What do we do for lower extremity? Do you have like a, a ideal amount of uh, maybe like heel raises or something like that people Ooh. should do? Yeah, buddy. Um, I, I think like in terms of what should be the, you know, quote unquote, strongest part of a runner is bar none your foot and your calf. Bar none. Because at the end of the day, when your foot hits the ground, that ground's striking back too, brother. I mean, that's just physics. And so I call that ground, well, I don't call it, uh, science calls it, <laughs> science calls it ground reaction force. <laughs> <Science>. <laughs> and so um, we know kind of just based on research that the areas that take the most uh, force or impact back starts from the bottom and works your way up. And so your foot, for the most part, is, uh, I think the stats show about like eight to 10 times your body weight mm-hmm. um, in terms of the force being applied back. And so it gets dissipated the further up your body, but you have to make sure that your foot and your calf are absorbing that amount and can absorb that amount. Otherwise, that's where we run the risk of you know having it go further up the body and where we get, you know again, anterior knee pain and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of answering question, I got off topic. Calf raise, yes, absolutely. Um, not just two-foot calf raise, but I'm definitely getting them single leg too because, again, it's a sport where you're having to land and jump on one leg, and you're going to be able to decipher pretty quick uh, off the bat, especially when we get into single leg calf raise, what that difference looks like and kind of how that's leading to their pain. So what are, do you, are you, is this a trade secret? Are you able to tell us what, what those numbers are? Ooh, like the values I'm looking for. I think the research says like it's age dependent. Uh, oh, it blah, is. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I think I've got an Instagram post on this actually. Yeah. That's what, um, that's actually why I was thinking about it. I remember you remember seeing one of those. I want to say like, kind of, 30 let me pull it up real quick though it's pretty easy to find here um but yeah man like as far as the calf raise stuff goes you definitely uh need to make sure that the calf complex is definitely uh in tune with what's going on 
Uh, and I meant to ask this earlier, but for those uh, who want to follow Dr. Jesse, uh, just kick this desk at Doc Jesse Riley. So D O C J E S S E R I L E Y. You got it on the on the gram. On the gram, I can't find the stinking post, but um, oh, I want to say yeah, we're about is it like under capacity. Is it under capacity? Your capacity test. It might be. Let's see here. Capacity calf raise. Oh, here we go. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so um, for males in their 20s, 38, and female, 31. And that's two? Uh, that's just one. All right, that's just single on leg. One foot. Yes. Okay. 38, and so, and thir 38 and 31? Yeah. And so kind of obviously decreases a little bit as you get older. It's actually kind of funny in the, uh, in your sixties, seventies and your eighties. Um, we actually, between men and women, it actually starts to get very similar. Um, so it's actually pretty cool to kind of notice those, uh, discrepancies. I thought that that was a really neat thing based on the uh, study that we found in terms of, let's see, I'm in my thirties here. I need, I got work to do. I need to do about 33 on each foot. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Uh, so, um, uh, no, were there any other ones as far as, do you have like anything for like glute bridges or anything else that you're hoping for people to be able to accomplish? Yeah. So what I typically like to do, um, especially with like single leg glute bridge endurance tests, what I usually have with that is I'll have them go up on two. They'll kick one leg out and I'm looking for how well can they control that plane of motion. That's a transverse plane. So am I seeing a hip drop of some kind? Am I seeing a loss of hip extension? So that they start to kind of like uh, bend at the hip a little bit. Um, I usually try to have them try to hold that 30 seconds um, on each side. Um, that's a really good one for kind of what I consider the sagittal plane. So runners for the most part, if we think about it, guys, when you're walking straight forward or backward, that's considered the sagittal plane. One of the biggest planes of motion that I feel runners, uh, don't train enough in is called that frontal plane. So again, that's kind of when you're waving side to side, how I kind of measure that one. Um, a couple ways you can do this. The main one that I like to go to is, uh, what's called a it's a side plank endurance. So I have them hold that for 30 seconds. If they can maintain that pretty well, what I usually have is at the end of that 30 seconds, I will have them abduct that top leg. So kind of raise it up in line with the rest of their body there. And I try to have them hold that for another 30 seconds. And typically we can kind of see um, a few discrepancies between your right and your left side whenever we're checking that sort of stuff out. Nice man. Those are good. Yeah. Um, just, just basic, basic training movements, right? You know it, brother. Um, so last question I want to ask for those that maybe aren't running right now. Mm -hmm. And this, we see this a lot. I had an old injury or I want like, what are some of the activities you want to get back into? Oh, I used to run a lot. I would love to get back to running. What's the ramp up that you try to encourage people to do, or how do you break down getting back into running so that you don't create this quote unquote overuse injury or this kind of like acute injury because you're doing something super new. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, kind of the way that I, uh, suggest it for people is 
I want to make sure that they can do a good amount of walking first. So whether that's like 30 minutes to an hour, how, how does the body tolerate that? You know, we're in an area where we have access to trails and mountain ranges. So even hiking would be advisable too, because you get that uh, variation in the ground. If we're killing that, and then the next thing is just consistency. I feel like a lot of runners, uh, especially if they're trying to get back into it, it's a form of motivation. I mean, you and I both know, like in the current state that we're in, motivation's hard to find. <laughs> and so um, for them, it's mainly I'm looking for one starting at the same long uh, walks. Next thing would be consistency. Once you're kind of hitting those two markers, okay, cool. Let's now talk about uh, going into like a walk-run strategy. And we may do that for a 30-minute period to kind of have a baseline, see how you do. Start with maybe a ratio of like a four to five-minute run to one-minute walk kind of thing. See how the heart rate does with that sort of stuff. And then you can start to kind of uh, erase some of the walks from there and then start to just progress more to just continuous running. As far as the progression goes from there, like there's all kinds of different things. It, it, it's really dependent upon how well you're doing um, versus kind of what you've been exposed to in the past too. And so if you're doing a bunch of other stuff uh, in addition to the running, you'll probably be able to speed through that a little bit faster. If you're just strictly running, I may suggest taking things a little bit easier just to make sure your body adapts really well. That's great. That's a that's a really simple, easy just breakdown of uh, inc increasing load progression, right? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I just thought of one other one other question, which I don't know if yeah. you have an answer for. Um, why do some kids suck at running? Ooh, really good question. Because obviously, you can make it would make sense with adults. You've had all these injuries before, things like that. But you're looking at like I'm thinking even like young, like kids that haven't had a lot of injuries, like you know, three, four year olds, five year olds. Obviously, they've been walking for a number of years, different things like that. But you watch some kids run, and you're just like, "What the heck are you doing?" Yeah, um, I mean, we could go into so many different directions here, like you know, developmental sequence and that sort of stuff, like. Did they walk too early and that sort of stuff? Was it forced in terms mm -hmm. of their walking? Like there's so many things. I think the biggest thing to me is I think a lot of it just comes back to balance control. And so if we aren't able to kind of maintain these primitive postures, like again, the single leg stance, like if you're going all over the place, like that's telling us something. So we need to be able to see like, where is that being affected the most? Is that the foot? Is that uh, central stability at the core um, or anywhere else? Um, the next thing for me would be like, how does this person look walking too? Because chances are like, if they look uh, a little suspect jogging or running, I want to know definitely what they look like when they're walking too. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so it's, it's some of those things like where it's the walking, the skipping, hopping drills, like, that's kind of where I feel like uh, training is kind of evolving for runners anyway, as we're getting more towards like plyometric type stuff. And so if we can't nail down the fundamental uh, steps of, again, like that calf raise, like if you're having a hard time just balancing on one foot with the calf raise, you're going to have a hard time running because it's going to translate. And so that's where, 
again, you could go in a multitude of different directions, but at the end of the day, like balance control of the two aspects of it. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, so I meant to, I meant to throw this out earlier, but I tried to leave everyone with a challenge for the week. Um, so I don't know if you have something off the top of your head. Uh, I can kind of wow. spitball some ideas that I have, cause obviously I've been thinking about it. Um, <laughs> but do you have anything off the top of your head? If not, I'll spitball something while you think of something. You spitball something while I think of something. All right. So, um, we'll call this a multi, uh, tiered challenge. So obviously we've been talking about gait and running. If you're not running, some of these challenges might not apply, right? Increasing cadence or other things like that. But so if you're not running, I think, so locomotion is imperative to humankind, right? Mm -hmm. It is argued that mankind is such a good hunter, not because we're the fastest or the strongest. Obviously we can't like outrun a, an antelope, right? They're faster than us, but the endurance that we can endure and double double endurance that we have to be able to go further distances from not only a walking and also a running component is super important so humans have been born to run so if you're not running i want to encourage you to go through that natural progression that dr jesse stated because i'm I do, I do not want you to just go start running tonight or tomorrow if you haven't been doing it in a while <laughs> but if you you know if you're if you're someone like myself who obviously has not been running in a while i am feel like i'm a pretty athletic person and I work out a good amount and I know my body well enough to know that I could go for a run right now and not hurt myself. So if you're not running, break it down into trying to get in run one, one run a week. That'll give you an opportunity to be aware about how your running is. Uh, obviously not doing it for a while. You're going to be a little bit um, out of sync, out of tune, but that's a good reference point for you to be able to start to do some stuff. I do think, and this is myself included, we do need to run more because it is a very imperative skill and basic movement pattern. It's locomotion one-on-one. Yeah, I'm for it. I, and I would even, uh, even, put this on there too like i don't care if that is if you think it's slow or fast or whatever like to me the other point of that is just the benefit that you have on your not just physical body but like your mental aspect of it too yeah. and you and i both are huge proponents of that as far as like what's the mental aspect of kind of what we're going through right now whether that's in pain or not in pain um, and so, I mean, we obviously know the, the physiological benefits of, uh, being fit and exercising and that sort of thing. And, you know, if you've never ran in the first place and you may really be attached to it after you try it for a little bit too. Yeah. Um, what I was going to say, <laughs> you went a different direction. I was just going to say for the runners, like, one thing you probably need more of is just more sleep. <laughs> well, that's the other side of the coin, right? If you are listening and you are a runner, what's your what's your sleep patterns right now? How many hours a night are you getting? What's the quality, et cetera? So yeah, I mean, it's not it's not to say it's just this or that. Um, obviously, the sleep component goes for anybody, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, recovery-wise, right? We know most people are just yeah, hitting it hard, time. hitting it hard, and they're not just sleeping enough and that's where the majority of our metabolic recovery processes take place 
is when you're sleeping and making sure that you have adequate sweet 100%. So you got a couple different options there, folks. Um, obviously, uh, you can take it a number of different ways. Hopefully, this was beneficial for you guys. Um, there's there's a lot of different stuff in there from strength training to footwear to correct toes, um, just locomotion and gait stuff. So I really appreciate it, man. This was fun. Uh, these are questions I've been wanting to ask you for a while. And it's always, you know, I always joke selfishly, this is a way for me to get a lot of the questions that I want answered. So I appreciate you taking the time to uh, entertain the thoughts on my mind brother you asked some of the best questions i've had uh being on a podcast so i appreciate being on that's good that's good cool man well uh anything else you want to leave people with before we uh check out uh well i mean as far as the uh social media goes like i said it's at doc jesse riley d-o-c-j-e-s-s-e-r-i-l-e-y um my website is www.modernday.com Cairo, C-H-I-R-O dot com. Um, and then in terms of uh, anything else I've got coming up, I have a presentation or like another Zoom uh, webinar that I'm putting on with uh, a trainer in Michigan on Monday. Great. You can check into my social media for how to uh, find that too. So we'll be talking about running shoes. And you do virtual coaching, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I plug, plug back like with you. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Yeah. Um, it's actually a pretty cool process. What I usually do is um, our first kind of visit per se is actually two pieces. And so we'll sit down first and kind of just have a Zoom uh, session together to go over the history, kind of just meet, make sure we're a good fit. And then what I usually do is I send them uh, a package of videos that I actually want them to shoot themselves. Mm. And so they'll do that on their phone, tablet, or whatever. And then they'll send those back to me. And that's when I can upload them onto uh, an app that I use to edit them and kind of give an explanation again to, you know, loaded capacity. We go right back to it again. And so it kind of gives us an explanation as to, again, why they have pain. We build a strategy and kind of a plan together. And from there, we kind of just follow up intermittently to make sure everything's progressing well and we're kind of going in the right direction. It's actually uh, been a really cool process. I do it slightly differently than some other practitioners just because I feel like with a lot of people, it's really dependent. Like when that video starts, what room are they in? Can they move around a lot? And sometimes it's a little uh, seedy. So. So you don't, yeah. I mean, I just literally jotted that down. Videos, do the filming yourself and send them to me because there's been so many times with a lot of the remote sessions that I've had. And, you know, we indicate like, hey, we're going to be moving around. So make sure you have some space and everything's like that. Next thing you know, you're in the tightest little office ever and you're, they're having to move stuff or they're having to go to different rooms and set up stuff. It's, <laughs> I feel you there, man. So it's uh, kudos on you and well done yep. for having that planned out appropriately. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, Thanks for tuning in again and move well. We'll see you soon. All right, guys, that was Born to Run with Dr. Jesse Riley. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Running is always, I think, just, I think it's a super fascinating movement when it comes to human movement, biomechanics, et cetera. It's something that is so innate in us, yet seems so foreign for so many people. As we had discussed in our conversation, right, it's like asking the question is like, why do some kids 
suck at running? Why do some adults run? Is it strictly a result of movement compensations from prior injuries? Um, is it, you know, range of motion issues? Is it just we never really learned how to run in the first place? It just is so fascinating to me that something as innate as walking and running gets so distorted as our life goes on. And I think it's, I think it's really important. I mean, there's a number of texts and books out there that describe how fundamental running is to just us as, as a human species and how this has been very, um, uh, lost and distant from our everyday movement, culture, lifestyle. So I am doing, I'm trying to do a better job myself of trying to add some running in, not for the sake of anything in particular of a mixing it up from my normal, normal daily routine and kind of lifting routine and programming, but also just because I feel that it is so important and I want to work on some of the things that we talked about. And I want to have that ability to run when I get older, as I get older, as my kids get older. So, um, uh, take, take note of, take note of the challenge, um, and just try to apply some of those, those, those fun facts and tidbits. And, um, if you're not currently running, let's, let's get some, let's get some miles, let's get some footsteps on the books. And, uh, if you, if, if it's something that is a little bit new to you, find a coach, there's tons of running coaches out there. There's tons of coaches. Um, obviously, uh, you know, make sure you're, you're ready to run. If there's any sort of medical issues or anything you're dealing with, but let's get the shoes on. Let's lace them up. Let's get some steps in and enjoy, have fun, get outside. Uh, much love. Thanks for paying attention guys and listening and tuning in. Please share, please share. Um, if you know this will help someone out or if you just enjoy the episode as it is and want to share with someone, uh, please do so. So thanks for tuning in guys. We will see you next time. Move well.